0: Okay, our scripture can be found on the back of the bulletin. By the way, many of you are wondering, why is a pink candle lit today? Uh, this is what is known in the church calendar as Gaudet Sunday. Gaudet uh, is Latin for joy. Uh, Advent, every every uh, week in Advent, there is a different theme. And uh, the first week of Advent is hope. The second is Peace. And the third is joy, and the uh, liturgical color for joy is pink or rose. And so uh, this uh, week we celebrate and we think of the rejoicing at the coming of Jesus Christ. Uh, Here are some who rejoiced in the coming of Jesus Christ, because we're going to talk about the story of the wise men. Matthew 2, 1 through 12. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. The word of the Lord. Where there are many joys of Christmas and there are also many controversies. And one of them is that age-old question, is Die Hard a Christmas movie? And I am ashamed to tell you that even among our congregation, spiritual giants believe it is so. Not going to mention any names, Dodal. When it comes to art, and the proponents uh, believe this, well, of course it's a Christmas movie because it starts on Christmas Eve with John McClane landing uh, at JFK with a present in his hand. And uh, his wife's name is Holly, of all things, right? There's lots of Christmas music. In fact, some have compared Die Hard to the Christmas classic It's a Wonderful Life, drawing parallels between John McClane and George Bailey and antagonists Hans Gruber and Mr. Potter. Do you see it? I don't. (laughs) See, the proponents who say it is no, and I am among them, say that while the story takes place on Christmas, the timing of the movie has nothing uh, to do with the impact of the plot. It could be placed anytime, time, uh, such as summer. You take out really a Santa hat and some music and you've got a normal movie. Additionally, it's simply too brutal. There's a lot of action fight scenes and gore, which typical Christmas movies just don't have in them. In fact, only 39% of Americans, according to a poll, consider the Bruce Willis action film a Christmas movie. And indeed, it was Bruce Willis on 2018 on the Comedy Channel that stood up and said, I quote, Die Hard is not a Christmas movie. So there you have it. You know, if I was going to pick a Christmas movie of a questionable lineage, I would have picked The Hobbit, uh, or There and Back Again, as its title is. And why would I have picked The Hobbit as a possible Christmas movie? And that I would have picked it because the Hobbit is a quest. It's not an adventure story. And there's a difference between the two. And I think it best to explain through hearing the words of Gandalf. Now Gandalf says, I'm looking for someone to share in an adventure, but he really means quest. And Bilbo says, oh, this is horrible. You know, nasty, making you late for dinner. I can't think of anyone who would want to do that. To which Gandalf says, you'll have a tale or two to tell when you come back. And Bilbo asks, you can promise that I'll come back? And Gandalf says, no, and if you do, you will not be the same. See, an adventure is when you go to the beach and you have fun, or you go to bush gardens and you come back, and it was great. But a quest is when you go on an adventure and you come back and you are not the same. I bring up the story of the Hobbit because I want to talk about the wise men. The wise men were not on an adventure. They were on a quest, a quest that changed them, that they would never be the same after embarking on it because they encountered Jesus Christ. See, you cannot encounter Jesus and not be changed for better or for worse because Jesus has come to reveal the hearts of everyone. And this story written in Matthew is designed to show us that because Matthew compares and contrasts the hearts of two different groups of people, the wise men and Herod, along with all Jerusalem with him. See, we're all on a quest to see Jesus, to encounter him, and we will ultimately end up in two places, either in a place of allegiance and worship or in a place of animosity, because when you seek Jesus, what you will find is not only him, but yourself. I want to talk about three different groups, two which really are the same, and their responses to the person of Jesus. One group, the wise men, which offered their allegiance upon finding him. Herod, who showed uh, animosity on seeking to find him. And finally, the third, the religious leaders of Jerusalem that showed apathy, which really ends up as animosity because there are really only two choices in the end. Because when you seek Jesus, what you will find is not only him, but yourself. So let's look at the wise men first. It says in verse 1, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem. From the east, when that term is used in the Bible, it usually means uh, Babylonia and Persia, the Persian Empire. This would be modern-day Iran and Iraq. Persia was the empire then. They had assimilated uh, Babylonia, and so probably they came from somewhere around Baghdad, uh, which is about 900 miles east of Jerusalem. We know they were called Magi, Magi which translated means wise men or counselors. It's where we get the derivative of the word magic. These men were uh, counselors and astrologers from the court of Persia. And they combined astronomical study with astrological speculation. It was their role to discern and interpret to their people what was going on. They would be the intelligentsia of the day, the Harvard and Princeton and Yale professors. They were uh, at the top in terms of wisdom. That's why they're called wise men, because they're highly respected. Now, what is shocking is these are the people that are coming to find Jesus Christ. Because everywhere in the Old Testament, where it mentions the practice of divination, the very thing that these guys do, it is condemned. And yet they are the ones who come. In fact, if you wanted to write a story and you wanted to validate it, you wouldn't bring these type of people. They were opponents. And yet they are the ones who came because this is not a story. It is history. And what is this showing? It's showing what was read in our praying the scriptures in Isaiah 60, that this king is for all people, that he is the king who has come to govern and save the world. It's the wisest and the rest of the world in this story that acknowledges Jesus as the king, and ironically, Jerusalem and Herod who do not. And so they come on this perilous journey. They saw this star that rose, and they embark on this dangerous, perilous journey, which probably would have taken about five months through some very treacherous territory. Why is it that they decided to come? Well, I think it's because of hope and faith that this was no ordinary king. See, they seem to have some background, and we need to understand a little bit about who these men were and why they came. You'll remember the Jews had been exiled to Babylon in the Babylonian captivity, and so they had come to Babylon and along they had brought the Old Testament and shared about this one, this king called the Messiah. Maybe these wise men were familiar with numbers 24:17 that a star shall come out of Jacob and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. Additionally, one of the things you need to know is that in the ancient world, people associated astronomical phenomenon with the birth or death of a king. In fact, in 44 BC, at the funeral of Julius Caesar by happy accident, a comet, it's called Sidious Alinium, actually appeared in the sky. Coincidence? I have no idea. But this was very good for wise men, right? Because they were able to verify. And so there was this belief that there, when uh, a, a king was born, that there would be some sort of astronomical phenomenon. Furthermore, there was a, in the ancient world a belief, not just among the Jews, by the way, that a great king would come out of Judea. If you read the histories of Roman historians like Suetonius and Tacitus, they speak of this. Indeed, Vespasian, who was a Roman general who came and put down an uprising in 60 AD in Jerusalem, when he eventually went back to Rome and campaigned to become the emperor, one of his claims of why he should be the emperor was that he was the ruler who was supposed to come out of Judea. And so there was a belief that a great king would rise from Judea. And so when these wise men saw the star and they put all this together with a good dose, I'm sure, of the Holy Spirit, they decided to come. Now, I want to suggest to you something that's very different than what you normally hear in uh, the various movies, such as The Little Drummer Boy, that there was not actually a star that led them to Jerusalem. You know the song, right? We three kings of Orion are following yonder star. Well, how did they know to go to Jerusalem? Because of the very things that I talked about. Notice that they come to Jerusalem, but the star does not actually lead them to Jesus at that time. They come with the question, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and we have come. And so for those 900 miles, they were walking toward Jerusalem, not knowing where they were going to find the Savior. They saw the star rise, and they went. See, they came to Jerusalem. They did not know where to go from there. And notice what the king said. By the way, notice what they say. Where is he who is born king of the Jews? He would not grow up to be the king of the Jews. He was born from the beginning king of the Jews. And we saw his star rise. See, they understand that this is a king, the great king, not a normal king. But they don't know where to find him. And so who do they turn to? They turn to Herod. And who does Herod turn to? He turns to the scriptures. And after listening to the wise men, uh, excuse me, uh, the chief priests, Herod tells them it's in Bethlehem. He's in Bethlehem. That's where the Messiah is supposed to be born. And so they take off walking toward Bethlehem. It's only at that time that the actual star that they had seen all the way back there comes in a supernatural way and actually pinpoints them exactly to the place. What is the point I'm trying to make? The point I'm trying to make is that God has manifested himself to everyone in the world in a general way. Do you know that over 85% of the entire world believe in God? That's eight and a half out of 10 people believe that there is God, a God. In fact, Romans 1.19 says, what can be known about God is plain to all because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power, and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. It's when we look at the st- at the stars and the sky and there is something in us that wells up and we have a sense that there is God. Knowledge of God is evident in the world, but it is finite. Hear these words from the Tao Te Ching, Uh, which is from Chinese origin, hundreds of hundreds of years before the birth of Christ. This is chapter 25 of the Tao Te Ching. There was something that finished chaos, born before heaven and earth, so silent and still, so pure and deep. It stands alone and immutable, ever-present and inexhaustible. It can be called the mother of the whole world. I do not know its name. I call it the Tao. For the lack of better words, I call it the great. Thus, it is no surprise that many, many translations of the Bible, of the Chinese Bible, begin with John 1, in the beginning was the Tao, and the Tao was with God, and the Tao was God. See, they had a knowledge of God, but it was finite. They didn't know that this Tao, who he actually was, was the person of Jesus Christ. See, we, in order to know God, need special revelation. We can know that there is a God simply by living on this planet, but we can't know exactly what he's like, what his name is, what he desires for us. It is the scriptures that led the wise men to Christ, and it is the scriptures that will lead us there as well. And so as they took Herod's advice of all people, behold, that star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place. And notice what they say. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. If you look in the Greek, it's, it's actually quadruple joy. Why did they rejoice so much when they saw the star? Hadn't they seen it every night leading them? And the answer is no, all the way to Jerusalem by faith. The star at the very end was was telling them, was communicating to them that what they had heard, that this king to be born in Jerusalem was the truth and led them to their very house. It confirmed their belief that he was the king. And notice what they did. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshiped him. The child was no longer a baby, right? By that age, I guess children start to babies start to quarrel around six months to eleven months. Once again, my knowledge of you know the, these things is, is uh, encyclopedic. He was staying at a house, and these wise men, who had come from the court of Persia, who had just visited with Herod at his, his magnificent palace in this small rented house saw this child and the wisest of men fell down and prostrated themselves before him. They acknowledged this little crawling child was the king. And they opened their treasures and offered him gold, frankincense, and myrrh. See, when you were to visit a king, you brought gifts. gifts. And the gifts you bring are in proportion to the honor ascribed to that person. And these are the gifts that are fit for a king. And notice what happened. After worshiping, when it was time to go back, and being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. It is not by divination after meeting the Christ that they went back but trusting that God was leading them. As he appeared to Joseph in a dream, he appeared to them as well. The Lord is revealing to them directly how they are to live. They are now followers of the true king. Because you cannot encounter Jesus Christ and stay the same. I don't know if you are seeking the king this Christmas season. They believed and hoped that there was something more to this life, a God who reigns and who is a Savior, and they searched the sky, and then they searched the scriptures, and then they went. And I'm sure that there were times, many times of doubt on that 900-mile journey to Bethlehem. What are we doing here? Are we really doing the right thing? But what was the journey like back from Bethlehem as they recounted seeing Christ, as they experienced his presence in their life. They may have left, but they took Jesus back with him. You too, like me, are on a quest. And maybe you're on the journey to go and see him. You're a seeker. And I encourage you, to look around the world and see what it has to say, but then to come to the scriptures, because the scriptures reveal the reality of who this God is, that he has come to earth, and that he came that we might have life and have it to the full. Seek and you will find. But many of us are like the wise men on the way back. We have the words of Jesus Christ now. He has sent his spirit to dwell in our hearts and he says, I will be with you always to the very end of the age. I encourage you to rest in the satisfaction by faith that you know him and he knows you and that he is the one that you're looking for. See, we have a star that leads us every day, every minute, every hour of our life. We must fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, and choose to worship him alone, for he is our heart's desire. Follow the path of Christ, because when you seek Jesus, what you will find is not only him, but yourself as well. Well, there's another actor in this story. We have the wise men who were changed and offered their allegiance. But we see Herod, who encountered Christ from afar, and offered animosity. A little bit about Herod. Herod was raised as a Jew, though he wasn't a Jew. He was an Edomite. He's a descendant of Esau. This was the land south of Judah. Herod came from a very powerful family, and Herod was extremely ambitious. So much that he lobbied and received the kingdom. He was appointed king of the Jews in 39 B.C. by the Roman Senate. He was ambitious. It was Josephus, the great historian, that gave him the name Herod the Great. Because Herod was a massive visionary. He built unbelievable projects. He transformed this sleepy little sea town into Caesarea. Indeed, he figured out how to make underwater concrete underwater in order to build this seaport. The first self-cleaning seaport. I have no idea what it means, but it sounds great. He built Masada. He built these beautiful uh, uh, palaces and was responsible for the renovation of the Jewish temple, which was said to be the, the greatest site in the ancient world. See, Herod was about one thing, and that was making his name famous. Herod might have worked for Rome, but he was about building his kingdom. And as a result, you had never met a more paranoid man. He had multiple wives and sons, and killed at least two of his wives and two of his sons, probably more. Indeed, it was Caesar himself that said it was safer to be Herod's pig than Herod's son. Because Herod did whatever was necessary to hold on to his power. So imagine, if you will, when these wise men come into the palace of Herod, saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? The title that was given to Herod by the Roman Senate. But this is the one who is born king of the Jews. Indeed, we saw his star when it rose. You can imagine Herod said, I never got a star. Why didn't I get a star? I want a star. I can build palaces. I can pretend to be the king. But here is one who has come to usurp me. And notice Herod's reaction. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. This word troubled in the Greek means in turmoil greatly agitated, even terrified. And notice what Herod does. Herod believed the scriptures. And assembling the chief priests and scribes, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. Herod didn't know, and in order to figure it out, he went to the scriptures. And the scribes told him, in Bethlehem of Judea. Herod goes to the scriptures. Remember, he was raised as a Jew. He knew that God had a plan, that 700 years before it had been prophesied that he would be born in Bethlehem, and Herod believes that it's true. But here's the thing. He doesn't care that it's true. Because his purpose of going to the scriptures is to find out the information so he can kill the Messiah. Because Herod very much believes in God. He simply doesn't want him to be his God. Because Herod says, I am God. See, there's many in our world that doubt the existence of God and his son, Jesus Christ. And so they say, I don't believe or I doubt. Which is a very easy way out, right? Because I don't have to reject what I don't believe to be true. Frankly, I applaud Herod because at least he's honest. God's king has come to claim his throne and I'm not going to let him have it. See, the rebellion of Herod is the rebellion of mankind. Starting with Adam all the way up till now. And it dwells in each one of us. This pull and tug that says, this is my world. We are profoundly self-centered, aren't we? We can see it in us as kids. Remember when your parent comes to you and says, go clean your room? And everything inside of us does not want to do it. Why? Because nobody tells us what to do. And much of our frustrations in life come with the fact that we can't get people to do what we want them to do. And we get angry when they don't recognize us and applaud us like we feel that they should. But you see, we were not meant to rule ourselves. We do a terrible job of it. We were made in the image of God and made to reflect His glory. But Herod doesn't see it that way. He actually sees it that way. He just doesn't want it. And neither does Jerusalem, right? And so Herod's plan is to lie to the wise men. Go and find a child and come back that I too may worship him. Translation, that I may kill him. But no one can thwart the plan of God. Certainly not Herod. I like what C.S. Lewis said, where a man can no more diminish God's glory by refusing to worship him than a lunatic can put out the sun by scribbling the word darkness on the walls of his cell. Jesus the Messiah, notice the difference between these two, that Jesus the Messiah was sinless, and Herod the king of the Jews was a cruel tyrant. Herod's earthly power was awesome but he stored no treasures in the kingdom of heaven. Jesus had none of the power that the world could give, but his power in heaven was and is beyond comprehension. Jesus gave his life and ministry as a sacrifice so that the world would know God. But Herod's life revolved around sacrificing others in order to bring glory and honor to himself. Their two lives were the opposites in every way. Morally, culturally, spiritually, and worldly status. But notice their differing legacies. All of Herod's glory and strength have been forgotten aside from some historians. Few people remember his accomplishments. What they remember him as is the paranoid tyrant who killed all of the children in a little village to hold on to his power. And Jesus' legacy continues to reverberate and impact millions, maybe billions throughout the world who would die for him. See, we have two paths to choose. To worship the true God or to try to stamp him out. The wise men chose wisely and Herod chose poorly many of you have made your choice and you worship Christ as the son of God and you experience the joy of knowing that the right person is on the throne of your heart and yet you and I feel the pull of the world and the whisper of the devil. If you don't watch out for you, certainly no one else will. You can be God and take get better care of yourself than anyone else. And it's a lie. Continue to trust Christ, that he is who he says he is. Trust what he said and trust what he did. Place him first and be the image of God designed to reflect to the world that Jesus Christ is God and Lord. Because as you worship him, Like the wise men, you point people to Jesus and you do what you were made for. You find him and yourself at the cross. But for others who are seeking, I challenge you to answer this question. Do I worship him or he is my rival? Do I bring my gifts to him of my life or do I refuse to bow the knee? If you choose the path of Herod, your life will end in paranoia, death, and frustration. So choose Christ, because when you seek Jesus, what you will find is not only him, but yourself. This leads me to my final group, the chief priests and the scribes, who responded with apathy. When they hear this story, notice Herod receives these wise men, and he must have had maybe some leading families of Jerusalem there as well, because these people share this story, which I'm sure Herod wouldn't have wanted to get out, but it did. And it says that all of Jerusalem was troubled with him. See, this was not good news to these people, to many of them. And so what does Herod do? He assembles the chief priests and the scribes because he is, knows this is the Messiah. He's thinking it's the Messiah. And they ask, where is he to be born? And they search the scriptures. They knew the scriptures. They said in Bethlehem. Now think about this. How long have the Jews and the leaders of the Jews been waiting for the Messiah? And what do they do? Nothing. Do you know how far Bethlehem is from Jerusalem? Six miles. Six miles. An afternoon's walk to check this out. And yet no one went. Well, maybe Herod forbid it. Do you think that could stop them if they were really seeking the Messiah? See, they studied the scriptures day and night. Indeed, there was a saying, more Torah, more life. But Jesus knew the truth. In John 5, 39, he says, you diligently study the scriptures because you think in them that that you have eternal life. These are the scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. They were so close, yet so far. Because Christianity was to them an academic exercise. They were apathetic. But notice what happens when you have apathy toward Jesus Christ. You become enemies of him as well. Herod comes to them, says, tell me where this one is to be born. They know that Herod doesn't want to worship him. They know who this man is. So what do they do? They tell him. They wash their hands, right? We don't have anything to do with it. We're just the scribes. We're just the the people that study and look and solve puzzles. Not one of them, as far as we know, refused to say the truth. And we find academicians, professors, even pastors who are ultimately enemies of Christ. They wanted to be apathetic, but you cannot be apathetic about the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus said, The man who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a man who built his house on the rock. But the man who hears these words of mine, like the first person, and chooses not to put these into practice, will be like the man who built his house on the sand. And the winds came, and the floods rose, and it fell. With a great crash. See, if you are a seeker coming to hear about Jesus Christ, if you're here because you want to know more, I applaud you. I remember being that person myself. I did not grow up as a believer. But understand this that Jesus is not like the other religious leaders, that one can study from afar and stay neutral toward. You cannot finish with he's a good teacher, a moral figure, someone that I should emulate. He simply doesn't allow it. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes should not perish, but have everlasting life. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only son. So, my encouragement to you is to be like Herod. Be honest about where you stand with Jesus Christ. Is he my Lord and Savior? Or is he my impediment and enemy? For when you seek Jesus, what you will find is not only him, but yourself a worshiper of God. Or an enemy. You can't have it any other way. Let's pray. God, thank you that you sent your Son, Jesus Christ, to call peoples from the ends of the earth, which includes people like us. The star of your Son, the bright morning star, Jesus Christ, continues to shine. And you call us to yourself by your gospel to come and to worship you. For you want us to know you, and you want to know us. Let us be like the wise men. Let us move in worship, and let us walk by another way, trusting not in the world, but in your word and in your spirit. We pray all of this in Christ's name. Amen.